<laughs> You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. All right. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today, we have one of those pretty interesting people. Her name is Morgan Penn, and she is a sexologist. And it's quite interesting because every third episode of this podcast, as you know, is a relationship episode. And in all of the relationship episodes that we have done, Libby and I haven't really talked about sex. So we thought we would get in a professional. So for our first ever three-way podcast, we have all three of us here today, Libby Grace, Morgan Penn, and me. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks for being here. Wow, it feels like a real privilege to be a part of your three-way, so thank you. No problems. It's just like that. So today, uh, you and I had a chat uh, last week about what we should talk about in the first episode, and I asked you what was sort of the biggest problem that you see with couples coming through. And so today, in our threesome, we are going to talk about SDD. The sexual desire discrepancy, or what uh, psychologists also call the mismatch effect. And for you at home who still don't understand, basically a difference in libidos, a difference in sex drive when one partner wishes to have more sex in a relationship than the other partner. And you see that commonly in the people that come to you, Morgan. Yeah, it's a huge issue that's presenting. And normally that's when I become the ambulance at the bottom of the hill. And the sad thing I see about that is that it normally gets pinned on one person in the relationship and it gets put into it's this person's problem. And then there's a lot of shame and guilt, which just perpetuates um, the mismatch that's happening and the distance to getting back to how it could have been or or it was. And I think the biggest thing I'd like to clarify right off, like straight away, is just the fact that it is a relationship issue. It's not one person at all, and we treat it as a we issue. Yeah, and that's, that's great, because when I was doing a little bit of reading around this, the psychologists, you know, they... They, they've shown in many studies that a difference, uh, uh, well, a sexual desire discrepancy can lead to a lot of tension and frustration. And it does usually get put on the one person, the person who is having the least amount of, of the sex. They are the problem. And one of the main or one of the past main ways that they counseled couples in order to get through this was to find that frequency in the middle. So to get the slightly higher sex drive person to have slightly less and the slightly lower sex drive person to have slightly more and find this nice healthy balance in the middle. But what they realized was that solving 
the frequency was not actually the problem. It was solving the problem. <laughs> and yeah. because because there can be a problem at both ends. We can have a problem with low sexual desire having an underlying issue, but high promiscuity, high, high sex drive can also be a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's just so many factors that go into what's happening. And I think the biggest thing here and the problem I have with that finding that sort of sweet spot that those other professionals are talking about is that we're not actually honoring what's happening for the individual and what's happening with the body. We're so disconnected from the body and the body wisdom. And it's the body wisdom that's telling us either, yeah, I I want so much sex, like give it to me, I'm hungry. It's like an insatiable desire or it's an absolute no interest for me. And when we try to come from it with a real cognitive, heady level, we're just never going to get to a real spot where it has got longevity to grow and expand. It's coming from a real formula and it just, our bodies just don't work like that. Like desire, libido, it is something that's happening in the body. And there is so much that happens around it. It's the context that happens around it that we need to to figure out. All right. Hi, Libby Grace. Hey, Jimmy Hunt. I, it took me a while to convince Libby to mm-hmm. even come on these podcasts. Originally, I literally just wanted somebody in the room so that I was actually talking to someone during my episodes <laughs> of my podcast because I felt like an idiot just talking <laughs> talking to nobody. I was like, at least just sit in there. And then if you hear something or you see something, then just chime in and go, no, 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 you're an idiot. You're wrong. Uh, and then I'll go, okay, and then I'll answer that. And the cool thing is it's now become something that she really enjoys doing. She loves being here. And we've we've gone all the way from, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this to, hey, let's talk about our SDDs on a podcast, Libby <laughs> Grace, because both, well, our relationship as an entity has an SDD. It has has a mismatch effect and uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that I am the one with the high libido and she is the one with the low libido. It has nothing to do with our relationship and everything to do with both of our traumas growing up. Well, we assume that, right? Like we've never really delved into it apart from our own assumptions I guess I mean yeah you're right we've we as with everything in our relationship we are at opposite ends of the spectrum I mean that's just how we are um and you talk about having a high and me having a low honestly I have like zero libido I'm like I think I've said this on a recent a recent episode we did I can't remember which one it was but we talked about it and I I think I said look if i never had sex again as long as I lived I'd still be quite happy I, I don't have a I just don't have a functioning desire for it not that I don't enjoy it when it's happening but that's where the um discrepancy and the and the issues well the I guess the the gap appears is that I just not somebody that in, initiates sex because I don't care if I have it or not I'm quite I'm I'm happy without it so yeah it's definitely a, um is a huge gap and I, we have assumed that it's come from me personally having 
sexual trauma or, or whatever you want to classify that as, as a as a young person. Um, but we've never actually, I've never had anyone qualify that or or give me a kind of any kind of diagnosis or whatever. But yeah, we kind of assume that that's where it comes from. Yeah, and and my high sex drive, I self diagnosed as being. Uh, a, a lack of self-love and self-intimacy that I was looking for in anybody else. So in my 20s. Everybody else, yeah. not anybody, everybody. <laughs> so in my <laughs> 20s, I was mildly promiscuous. Oh, my and God. <laughs> you undersell yourself. <laughs> and so... And so I know, I and this is why, and obviously we'll talk to the expert in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but but this this is why uh, what you said before, Morgan, I think is so right is that my sex drive has lowered as I have done the personal work on myself to find self love and and intimacy internally, and so. Yeah, in my twenties, rabid dog, and and now and now after you know ten years of proper internal work, I I think and I hope, and again you can tell me what is a healthy libido. I've got no idea, but I think I have a reasonably healthy libido now. Well, it's especially healthy compared to what it used to be, uh, and so I think that I have worked at solving some of the problems that have then helped solve some of the frequency. So there, Morgan, there's half of our problems on the table. <laughs> Go. Go. <laughs> Go. Firstly, what I'd like to say is thank you both for sharing, okay, because, I mean, that is the, it's the biggest thing about this. It's like let's bring it into the light because there's no shame about it and we've all got – something that has shaped us into the person that we are and how we present sexually and intimately and relationshiply, you know, with people. And I think, yeah, it, it is so interesting to see the different ends of the spectrum that you are both at and, and what has brought you to that, to that point. And I think the biggest thing that I see for both of you um, is actually safety in the body. So, you actually both had a lack of safety in mm-hmm. the body, um, and but it was causing you to do different things, actually. And for you, Jimmy, it was about giving yourself the safety, again, which you've obviously found. And Libby, I would say it would be a similar like kind of journey for you, but I would say because you've probably had uh, the abuse of power, the power and um, taking advantage of your sex centre, is that it feels like it's not yours to mm. have full control and um, sovereignty over. And so it's about you creating your safety again. And it's actually a full rewiring. Like this is neuroplasticity that we have to work with, you know, f- to create new neural pathways from your brain to your sex center, to your whole body, that it can be alive and feeling like it's yours and and that that pleasure is your birthright because I truly believe that for all bodies. Mm. Um, But it's a journey. It is such a journey, and you can't think your way into that. (laughs) It's body work. Really interested that you you initially mentioned that libido is 
from the body. It's it is of the body, and that's been that's fascinating to me because everything's in my head. Everything is whether it's deep, deep, deep down suppressed trauma, whether it's you know um, on top of what went on for me. I grew up in a in an environment that was it was a cult. It was a religious cult, so you know, that sexual repression, and it's common in so many people, right, where you you learn that sex is between man and wife. And, and I mean, I heard growing up, you don't have sex with somebody who you're not married to. Sex before marriage, you'll, you'll, you'll burn in hell. Like, that's how I was raised. So not just the stuff that happened physically to me, but the the imagery or the belief system that sex is bad. And, and so I, I did as a young person, I went to the promiscuous side because it was that rebellion as a, as a teenager, I was, you know, like trying to claim it, I guess, or trying to figure out how I felt about it. And that wasn't healthy. So I've never had that real understanding of what is good for me or right for me. And I guess I've kind of put it into a box and gone, okay, well, whatever, um, you know, let's just not deal with it. And, and poor Jimmy is <laughs> always tapping me on the shoulder. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, if you want to, sure. But, you know, in a, in a relationship, it causes, for me, the, the thing I feel badly about is that the stuff I've brought into this relationship um, denies him something that he deserves and wants and desires and, and you know, has a need for. Because and pleasure because- is my birthright. <laughs> I really wish you hadn't told him that. <laughs> but because of the fact that I don't have that drive that he has, it's very, very, very rare that I will initiate sex. And when it, when I do do that, I mean, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table. Everybody knows that if you meet me, if you speak to me, I'll just tell you the truth all the time. I'm not, I won't hold anything back. So I don't think people can learn or I can't help anybody else by, you know, holding back. So if I do initiate sex with Jimmy, sometimes I feel it's out of obligation. And it's kind of like, I know he deserves this and I want to give it to him. I'm not really into it, but I'll do it anyway. And then eventually, because, you know, I, I do actually enjoy the act of sex while I'm having sex, I, become to, I come to enjoy it, but it's certainly a big leap into oh, fake it till you make it. And that feels a little bit, it feels a little bit wrong sometimes to well, it doesn't feel wrong. It just feels like I wish it wasn't that way for us. And especially because you know that my number one turn on is enthusiasm. And it's literally the one thing that you don't have. It's like the the ingredients of our sexual relationship really could not be worse. They they make this really ugly tasting stale cake that's no, no fun to eat. Yeah, Libby, I'm really curious um, if you would be open to answering this. Like for you then, when you feel like it's almost like obligatory, like, okay, it's I'm mm-hmm. going to do this, what's like gotten you to to that point? Like has it been a long time? Has there been, like what's the actual motivator for you? Is there a payoff for you at the end? Yeah, I think partly it's... Um... It may have been, it may be a guilt thing that oh, it's, it has been a while and he's a really nice person and I really love him. And, you know, I want to do something nice for him. And the things that I do nice for him that are natural and feel good to me are not sex, right? There are other things, but they're not the thing that he wants to feel good. So it's very much a giving 
of something that I know he wants because I love him. So it, it gets, that's the only payoff is that I feel good about doing something that I know he wants. Um, We've done a love languages podcast that we reference quite a bit. And my number one, well, pretty much my number one love language is touch. And Libby's number five love language is touch. And yeah. because we are so polar opposite and everything, and we've done, we've had this relationship over 10 years now, we know what it takes to love the other person. And mm-hmm. so Libby gives me touch and words of affirmation, even though they are not things high on her, they're the bottom two on her love language list. And I give her fetching. Uh, <laughs> Acts of service um, and quality chips. And, and quality time as 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 the the her so so these are very conscious acts that we yeah. need to do for each other because we know that that's what makes our relationship work and we're you know keen to do that. Yeah, beautiful, and and it's important and something that what it sounds like to me that's sometimes for you Libby initiating that is like it's maintenance sex it's, <laughs> yes it totally there's is nothing yeah. wrong with that you know yeah. well that's but that's is that like is that my favorite sex <laughs> not, even, not, not even not even close but it's better but than it's, the no sex you can that's just it it's it's sustained me for 10 years like it's <laughs> It's it's enough nourishment to keep me going. It's like oatmeal. It's oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I eat oatmeal every once in a while. It's really good for you. It'll it'll sustain you. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear from both of you what uh like a what desire or arousal feels like for you in your body. Like how do you know? Oh, actually, maybe I would want to do something sexy right now. You go first. Uh, well, well, hello. Uh, I'm a, I'm a man. I find a lot of people attractive and I find a lot of things arousing. Um, so, uh, so that, that includes external things from our relationship and internal ones. I find my wife very attractive as you can see in this video, but people at home cannot see cause this is a radio show. Um, but we know Libby's very attractive. So yes, of course. She's got a beautiful body. She's got a <laughs> Libby also knows that one of the things that turns me on the most is lovely people. I just yeah. <laughs> uh, if someone is lovely, I'm attracted to them. And and oh. I'm married to pretty much the most lovely person on the planet. And so she's attractive and lovely. So therefore I am aroused. And okay, now I want to have sex with him. <laughs> and- <laughs> My job is done. See you. And we're not even in the same building. Uh, and, and, and so, so like, I mean, like I said, I'm, I get aroused at a lot of things. I would like to have sex with her a lot. I'm not the one to ask this question to. Yeah. And that, or the answer is it feels nice. Yeah. And I wanted to put it felt like in the body though. Yeah. It it, it, it feels tingly. It feels feels tingly. It it just, it's a rising feeling. Um, obviously, you know, our, our root chakra starts down there and, and then it, it rises, it rises up. And, um, I mean, my sexual attraction uh, occasionally is a very base desire, but, you know, usually is, is a lot higher up than that. So, um, you know, it feels, it feels 
rising through the body? That's the answer to your question. That's interesting. I like the word tingly. I'm trying to think about it. That's why I asked you to go first, because I'm not really sure that I know. I think mine is very much, um, yeah, just a physiological response um, down there. I don't know what we want to, it's, there's just that feeling of, yep, I'm going to say it, I could fuck now. Like that's, that's how it feels. Like, but that's very sudden. It's like a, it's a real um, primal feeling, I think, for me. It's not centered on anything like Jimmy's explained about loveliness and attraction and whatever. I think mine is very much a, just a primal response to, to whatever stimulus it is. And I don't know, you know, off the top of my head what that might be. But it's and how just, often do you, do you feel that? To be honest with you, um, I mean, not very often, but also for me, I've noticed that it's, um, I feel like it's very hormonal. I'm 43 years old. And so I don't know if my libido has slowed down even more so in the last, well, 10 years, obviously, but there's certain times of the month. And I think this is quite common for women that my libido is higher when I'm ovulating, because that's obviously when your body wants to start having sex to, to produce babies. So that definitely, I notice it then for me, it's, you know, a couple of days or a few days after my period ends, I get a surge in libido and it lasts for like a day. So your window is really, really small because that's the time where, where things turn me on. Like if I see a, a cute guy on the street, that's when I'm like, oh, there's that feeling like a little kind of, kind of like a punch in the lower gut. That's what I'm going <laughs> to explain it. Like there a little go. boom, like a little, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's how it feels like to me. And it lasts for a day or so. And then we move on with life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, you're both having very different like um response cycles go on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important to investigate these things because if we don't know the recipe, it's really hard to do it again. And so that's why I'm like, what's the felt sense? What does it feel like? So even for you, it sounds like, yeah, you're, you're saying this primal like urgency, like a punch mm-hmm. in the long of guts. Like mm-hmm. it's like, it's now or never, you know? Yeah, that's, it, that's how it feels. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's, um, that's great. And it's, it's great to really harness that moment, stop whatever you're doing, like drop work, you know, leave the groceries at the store, run back to your man, you know, but also sometimes we don't feel comfortable holding sexual Mm. energy and orgasmic energy in the body, if that's quite a foreign or an unsafe feeling for us. So sometimes it's exciting to play with that energy and see if you can harness it and expand it. So that's something to think about as well. Whereas the opposite for me is that I have to, I've learned to let that go. As that as that comes up, I'm like, I got nowhere to put this. <laughs> Get rid of it. Ah, but we also know that pleasure is our own responsibility, right? So we're not expecting another person to tend to it. Oh yeah, I'll go pleasure myself. Don't you worry about that. But so, but and, and so, this is this is why I, this is where this discussion is going. I think is that so when we talk about SDD and we have this mismatch effect, we have two partners. You know, again, we're a perfect example for being the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum. Yet we have had a beautiful and happy ten year plus relationship. And so we 
or as the psychologist said, and what I said earlier, we shouldn't just be looking to manage that frequency a little less from this person, a little more from this person. We should be looking at dealing with the underlying issues. But you still have to have those coping mechanisms to be able to get through that discrepancy until you can deal with those issues. And we're still looking at dealing with those issues 10 years later. And so I think it's good to uh, understand that there are ways to uh, manage it. And obviously, masturbation is one of the ways that the person with the higher libido can use their sexual energy uh, that does not need the person in their relationship. Yeah. And actually, masturbation is so healing, especially for people with low libido, because we kind of have this warped sense of masturbation that it's like, oh, I've got an urge and I'm just going to like tap and gap myself. I'm just going to frig myself off. I'm just going to release and get that done. Or I can't sleep. I'm just going to like, you know, smash one out. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a beautiful (laughs) self-soothing technique. It is. And it is a tool in the toolbox for sleeping, stress relief, all sorts of stuff, mood boosting, you know, but actually what we can teach ourselves through masturbation is checking in with our bodies and to see actually what our body needs in that moment. We might need to be really, really tender with ourselves. You know, it might need to be a full body experience where the, the genitals are involved, but not the focus, you know, but most of us are masturbating like, oh my God, I've just got a penis or I've just got a clitoris. You know, it's, we're forgetting about the whole body and it should be a whole body experience because when we come together with another human, it should be a whole body experience as well. Shouldn't just be genitals touching each other or rubbing against each other. Shouldn't just be like a masturbation session, but with somebody else, you know, it's about a full body and the intimacy. So if we can use masturbation as a tool to keep our own bodies aligned and our own desires kind of in check. Um, That's great, especially if you're the partner that has the higher libido. If you've got a lower libido, it is the best way to start building sexual energy in your body because it's sometimes a lot, it's about top of keeping something top of mind. If sex just isn't in your realm, it's just like not popping into your head at all. It's, it's just not going to be easily accessible to you when your partner comes and, start stroking you up, you're going, oh my God, that's just so far from where I am right now. Um, It's like, how do you get on that page? It's like you're on a green light, you're at a red light, your partner's at a green light. And how do you get onto the same light? It's just, it's crazy. But if you were masturbating, you've got an awareness of your sexual body and it's just, it's, it's more on top for you. So there's ways of doing it. Like I coach mindful masturbation. And with that, yeah, you would book in to do three sessions of masturbation that week for yourself. And you set a timer and you take away the goal of orgasm and you make it about being really present and really mindful with your body. And so it changes the whole scope of what we think masturbation is because most of us are masturbating Now, as adults, the same way that we were when we first started, and that could be, you know, under 10 or teenage or, you know, in our 20s, it's different for everybody, but we do it the same way because we've made a pathway from our brain to our pleasure center. Oh, that's how it feels good. 
cool, I'm just going to keep doing it that way. But it's pretty quick and fast and actually doesn't feel that great. But that's why we go looking to have this amazing, expansive experience with another human, but we can actually give that to ourselves. Love it. I've got a prescription. <laughs> I'll send you through the guidelines. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no, please do, because that's, um, you, you nailed it for me. I don't, was it one of the, the euphemisms was um, tap it and gap it? I love that. Like, that's so good. But that's ex- that's exactly me. It's a, it's perfunctory for me. It's like, oh, I have an urge. Okay, cool. I can get rid of that in probably under 45 seconds. I, um, I don't know if that's normal or not, but it's, it is, it's perfunctory. It's to, it's to get the job done. It's to have that feeling of release and then move on with my day. And I've never even contemplated that it could be or should be a longer experience, you know, personally, whether it's, whether it's just me by myself or whether it's even with a partner, like, I don't know, sex to me quite often people talk about having these really long sex sessions and I'm just like, oh, I can't think of anything worse, to be honest. Like That doesn't intrigue me at all. I'm not really, I mean, I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure feeling like on that heightened level for a long period of time is good, but I wish shit to do. And I'm not really, I'm not really interested in it to that. So you've kind of, you've introduced a concept to me that I've, probably been vaguely aware of but just haven't thought it related to me or could relate to me because of I've always just put myself in the box of I don't have a high sex drive the sex drive that I had when I did have a sorry the sex that I had when I had a high sex drive was extremely unhealthy damaging Mm -hmm. to many to not just myself to other people and so that went into that box of okay that's bad we don't do that so the high sex drive became a you know a part of me that I would um want to push away and not address correctly so yeah it's it's opened up the you've opened up a a concept for me of well it doesn't have to look you know so black and white one way or the other um I don't know is it I guess you're going to tell me that you're never too old to to learn how to to love on yourself properly so there's hope for me yet I guess there's hope for you Jimmy Hunt as well wouldn't that be lovely absolutely yeah. yeah, I coach, you know, I have women in their 70s. Um, wow. Yeah, that have just like bought their first vibrator or, um, you know, oh, I love died or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's the thing about libido as well. It's not just like a little gremlin that like packs a suitcase and goes away and it never comes back, you know, like, yes, there's so much that goes into it, like hormones and all that kind of stuff. But you can cultivate it. It's something that you can grow and nurture and, and change within yourself. So mm, fascinating. Yes, absolutely. I'll add, it, I'll add it to my schedule. So what's the <laughs> so what's the prescription for a couple out there that has the mismatch effect? You know, I, I'm just sort of thinking, I mean, I hope I hope that there's a lot of couples like Libby and I who completely mismatched and yet have managed to to lead pretty happy and functional lives with it but i also know that there's a lot of couples out there who it causes a lot of drama in their relationships and they are looking for solutions they do see one as the problem compared to the other one and so do you have like a formula or a prescription for couples like that to move from the mismatch to a much more together place? Yes, 
well, I guess I'd call it like a framework. It's yeah. so different for every couple, but there are a few foundation pieces that are, are critical, which is communication. And to be honest, like we are so shit at communicating. Like nobody has been taught how to do this properly. Most people haven't had that mirrored in their parents' relationship. Um, and so when it comes to sex, it's just easier to ignore or to have sex in the dark and not talk about anything. Um, and so that's what we need to do. We need to have bravery in speaking our truth around what's actually happening. Yeah, and that's, I think, the exact reason why we are a functioning mismatch. I think right right there, I mean, hell, we're talking about it right now on a podcast, for God's sake. Um, but, you know, together in our relationship, it has always been an issue from the start, but it's always been an issue that we've talked about. And even if it isn't worked out for both of us, at least we understand why it isn't working out. We're, we're communicating that it isn't working out. We're not pretending that it's working and then going and looking for solutions in other people or other places. I just yeah. want to jump in here really quickly because talking about how you said it at the start, you said it again about how it's one person is the problem, you know, or perceived to be the problem. And that's not how it actually is. And that's, I think, really important for listeners to hear. Um, I've always felt like it's a me problem. And when it manifests as, it does, it is a me problem because Jimmy's not getting as much sex as he would like because of me, right? So I have assigned blame to myself. I have called it my problem. It's been because of my past, my trauma, why, whatever. So it's very, very easy to put that label on yourself and go, oh, I've got a low libido or whatever you want to call it. And it's causing these problems in my marriage or my relationship. And it's very, very easy to, for people to feel guilty about that, which I've always done. I've always felt guilty that I can't, that I don't naturally, I'm not naturally inclined the way he is. And especially because we do talk about everything. We communicate about everything to a fault. There's, Jimmy's told me about all his sexcapades from the 20s or whatever. And I'm like, I can never live up to that. Even if I had a high libido, like I'm not even in the realms of what some of the stuff he's got up to. So it's there's all of these little layers that compact together and make it a bigger block, a bigger story of I am a problem in my relationship. I don't know how to fix it. So I just wanted to address that because while we're saying it's not one person's problem, it really does feel like it when you're the person who's not been able to provide, you know, that kind of um, that the equivocal nature of, of, you know, back and forward in, in a sexual sense. Yeah, thank you for bringing that into the light because what I found interesting, what you just said, is the guilt that sits there for you of feeling like you are that person and that is just going to make that gap even bigger because when we've got guilt, that feeds almost like a shame and mm -hmm. um, it, it, it just it shuts us down. Shame like shuts the body and it's, it's just so detrimental to a healthy sex life. And so, that's why I've tried to make her not feel that shame and guilt. And and mm -hmm. one of the, you know, like I, I completely understand why she has low libido. Now, if, mm -hmm. if I, if she'd never told me why, then I think I probably would have broken up with her a long time ago and gone, this is just a mismatch. 
Whereas, whereas because I know the backstory, I know the history. I don't blame her for this. Like it's not her fault. She didn't just decide that she didn't want to have sex with me. So like the, he, that I think that's even doubles down on Libby's point in that you can still still feel shame even when the partner is the one trying not to give that shame. Totally. And this is why it is important to have a third person come in and create this three-way to kind of zoom out, right? Because you're so in there together and you need someone to zoom out on the Google Maps and go, hey, this is let's let's deal with this guilt shame here let's let's work on that because that's that's a nugget that is going to directly impact things in a better way so when when you're both bringing this honest communication and you have these reasons that you're willing to share and be vulnerable about then you both have to decide that you're both going to tend to those sore parts together you know and it's going to look different for everybody and so you're making a commitment to actually seeing what can grow and change within the desire in the relationship. And there has to be this room for the no, you know, without it even having needing any explanation, because that's going to provide the biggest foundation of safety for the person that is trying to dive in deeper. And because we just want to honor the body, especially if there's been any form of abuse that's happened to the body. This is where it needs to feel like it does not have to endure anything that it is is heard and seen and it's no. That's a huge piece because when we both decide in a relationship that we're going to try and improve the libido and and have more sexual time, um, it's almost like it's at this point where people are like putting so much pressure on it. If we can't have more sex and we're going to have to break up or it's not going to work or this is just too much but it just has to we have to just treat it like it's a fragile piece of china you know that we're trying to either like piece things back together so that it looks good on the shelf you know it's it's so yeah there's so many pieces to this like communication and consent yeah, I mean, even the the no thing. I mean, I, I think my wife's here to answer the question. I think that I'm always, at least mostly, uh, very respectful in the no's. Like she says, she says no, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> that's that's the way it is. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm not a forceful person in in any in any way like that. Um, but one of the side effects of that is also that I feel unloved and I feel unwanted and undesired because my love language is touch mainly. And to have somebody, I mean, because we should all have a complete self-love that we're enough on our own and everything like that. What I talk about in a, outside of a a sexual context all the time. But it is also a human desire and a a human need to feel desired, to feel wanted by their intimate partner. And so, you know, when I get no a lot, that, that can hurt that intimacy for me. And that's when, you know, 
you kind of do look outside of that relationship for that um, for that desire. And we've talked about both Libby and I have been cheated on. I've never cheated on anyone in my entire life. I never would. But for a girl to look at me and find me attractive outside of this relationship actually makes me feel good, even though Libby tells me she thinks I'm attractive. It's not as I don't know. It's a little confusing <laughs> right now, but, but, but yeah, like the, the no of the person who has the lower sexual desire can eat away at the confidence and the uh, self-love of the person that's asking. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a huge piece and kind of goes into a cycle of what makes this whole situation harder. Mm. What what is useful is when we are working towards a common goal is that if there is a no, there is something else. So it's like, I'm not available for that, but maybe I would be up for this or maybe we could try this. So actually it is about tending to both person's needs. No, I will not have sex with you, but I will go and make you a rocky road. Okay, <laughs> that is fine. That is a fair deal. I accept. <laughs> Actually, it's pretty easy prescription. Um, they're really, that I feel like there could be an entire episode or probably seven episodes on that, what we've just, what you guys have just brought up. There's a melting pot in there of, and like you said, it is a cycle. And hearing Jimmy say, and I've heard him say this before because he, he has articulated this to me, that when I turn him down, he does take it as a personal thing. So that's when that guilt in me gets bigger. Oh, well, oh, I can't turn him down again because I've already turned him down and now I feel bad for turning him down. So, okay, well, maybe I could just have sex with him and, you know, make him feel better. And it, and then it becomes, oh, well, I didn't really want to have sex then, but I did yes, for him. But then I understand that cycle, so I stop asking. This is the thing. Yeah. It's not a good, yeah. And so you stop asking. And so, yeah. but then you're not getting what you need. Exactly. You're not and it's, that's a huge pile of yuck that <laughs> no, but that neither of us are able to wade through because we're both, you know, coming at it from our, our hurt points of view and knowing that we're, we're having our own hurt point of view and also hurting the other person, but having not the foggiest idea of how to get through it. And it's, I think that's a massive, you know, a massive part of it is when you are so different, like we are, I don't want to turn him down, but then that's not honoring myself. And then he doesn't want to not ask, but he, that's not honoring himself. So it's. So let's, it's, let, let's let Morgan finish her framework. Yes. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Like, I want, like this thing, <laughs> fix us, <laughs> please fix us. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And it is, you're right. Like, this is so big. This topic is so, so big. And like, say if you were like in, in a session with me, we would be like, you've, you've both presented some really good little nuggets that I would normally like take and run with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm trying to go sort of bigger picture here. Um, so I guess then, so if we've made, we're, we're communicating from the heart, we're sharing vulnerably, we're talking about our ouchy bits, what's stopping us from going there. Um, we know that it's a safe place to say a no and be heard. We're thinking about uh, creating other plans of like, okay, no, I'm not available for that, but maybe this. Um, it is actually about slowing down. It's about being able to find subtleties. We're living 
fast-paced lives that are uh, we're all in our head and everything it's noisy and we have technology trying to take us into these different worlds that aren't even important and they're not real and we're so disembodied and I think it's Esther Perel who's like an amazing relationship coach um, she talks about the subtleties of if I was to try and whisper something to you at a rock concert you would not be able to hear it but if I whispered to you in a library you would hear it you know so it's about finding the subtleties that align with each other it's about coming back into feeling you know you can I can sometimes with clients I get them to turn themselves on with their hands we forget what it feels like to even touch ourselves gently slowly softly to be curious it's um we think it's like big gestures we think good sex is lots of different positions and you know fast and intense or 10 hours it's not it's about slowing things down and being subtle and it's actually the things that we do before we even get to you know things going in holes so yeah it's um it's about the connection it is about intimacy but not necessarily sexual intimacy okay <laughs> Long <pause>. so many <laughs> things <laughs> yeah all right keep going <laughs> and then what <laughs> um there is I think there there is this thing that Masters and Johnson, like these amazing sexologists, they created yeah. this formula in the 70s. You know, know of them? Yeah, I saw, I used to watch the show Masters of Sex. It was fantastic. Yeah. So they created this thing called Sensate Focus, which is where you take sex off the table and you just start being with the body. So it is about deep presence, eye gazing, aligning your breath together so that you feel like you're one, your energetics are kind of lining up. And then it's about going so, so slow of touching each other's body. And so you could do this over a week, you could do this over two weeks, but you start by just touching one part of the body really slowly in different ways, bringing in different tools like a feather or a flower, um, things like that, just seeing if you can just wake up the body and because we've taken sex off the table, it creates safety. And actually, this is where libido thrives, is when it feels like it's safe to express and there's no pressure that it's going to actually have to end in something sexual. And that's what the basis of Sensate Focus is. It's about bringing things back to the subtleties, slowing down touching, connecting, and then building. Because what does happen, you start to slowly feel a different kind of sensation and building in the body. Like Jimmy, you said tingly, you know, that sort of, that that is a common description that people talk about. It's a bubbling, it's a building upwards. And it does, it starts from the base, from the pelvic bowl, which is if we don't have good blood flow, which is also another good point for libido, we're not getting lots of blood flow down into that pelvic bowl, into all the nerves that are down there, then it's really hard to wake it up as well. So the sensate focus is a building so that we have this desire. We feel the desire building in the body, the desire for the other person, and then you can unleash on each other. <laughs> I talk a bunch about psychological safety in order to be able to create change inside you know, what you talked about earlier, 
neuroplasticity in the neural pathways. You, when you are in a state of fight, flight, freeze, when you're in the sympathetic nervous system, it is impossible for you to actually create that physical internal change. And what you've said multiple times here is it's very similar for sex, that we have to have sexual safety. I mean, that's that's kind of obvious when you look at anybody in regards to abuse or trauma in the sexual realm, is that they have been, they have an imprint of unsafeness that you know is permeating still to this to this day. And so we have to find a safe place for them. And I guess, and you can answer this for me, is that one of the things that I have done for Libby is create a place of physical and psychological safety that has allowed her to heal psychologically. Maybe I have not also thought about how I can create a place for her to heal sexually in regards to safety. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you know, Gabo Mate yep. and yeah, yeah, Stephen Porges, they all work with the nervous system. And what they say, you know, with trauma, it's not about what actually happens to you, it's about what your body can't do at that time, which is what gets stuck in your body on a cellular level. So when there's been abuse, trauma, yeah, we normally go into fight or flight freeze. And so our body doesn't sequence the trauma through the body. And so that's what needs to happen. And that's what is really important for moving things through that if there's been sexual trauma is because there is almost like this shutdown in the sexual body and in the sex center. And so we need to sequence things through. And the best thing that can happen in this realm of creating safety to do that is actually through self-touch first we need to be our own safe person that touches right. ourselves. Yeah. So maybe so that's that my, that's that that's that mindfulness masturbation you were talking about before. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. It's um I love that you're wanting to create that safe space for her, but I do wonder if it's 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 her own journey. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, we could ask her. She's just over there. <laughs> Oh, you're still here. Hi. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, and it's really cool that you came to that realization, um, Jimmy Hunt. I don't know if that was just then or if you've thought about it. Was it was just before. then. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that, that you have absolutely, you know, held a really incredible place for me to do all the work I've needed to to get through so much stuff. But um, yeah, sexually, there hasn't been that same awareness that I might have needed that and it's but that you know we've both brought our stuff into that I don't blame you for that obviously that's not not you you haven't done that consciously and yes you've made um you know sex itself the act of sex safe and enjoyable as much as you can for for who I am and what I'm bringing to the relationship so it's not that you've um created an environment where I'm not able to yeah we have we have lovely sex Uh, safe and lovely sex yeah, and but there are times as well where there's been I I have felt felt the the pressure or the 
whether it's imposed by you or my own story that I'm making in my head of living up to expectations or, or whatever it is, you know, there's, yeah. there's certain things that go on in relationships that um, has made, maybe made my, um, I'm going to say sexual healing, but it's a Marvin Gaye song. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, has made that impossible to start because, and, and secondary to that, I haven't wanted to, to be honest. It's big and ugly, and I'm not really sure what it would look like to even um, to even address it because my life isn't too terribly bad right now without addressing it. I would absolutely love to have a better sex life, a more functioning sex life, a more fun, like have fun with yours and have fun and like enjoy and have that part of our, because our relationship's amazing. I love it. We have so much good stuff packed in there and so many facets of it. I'm ticking all the boxes of couldn't, couldn't be better, couldn't be better, couldn't be better. But sexually, compatibility, whatever, definitely is something that if there's an option for, for us to have that how amazing would our our relationship be if we could also add that into the mix like I'm not adverse to it I'm just scared to death of opening that it is I mean yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into detail about anything there's you talk about Pandora's box I got I had a giant box <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> funny in the context of this episode <laughs> but but my box is massive um but yeah there's a lot going on I know there's so many layers and um, and I understand that so much like that's like we have a beautiful awesome great life and I can completely understand you not wanting to open that box mm. um which leaves us at exactly what those psychologists were saying at the start Although we should be dealing with the problems, sometimes really it is just about managing the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would love it if we opened your box and got <laughs> to play inside and uh, deal with, deal with all of that. And you know, and we came to that conclusion where you know we we got you some some Marvin gayness and uh, some sexual healing. Um, but I, I would completely still respect your decision to not open the box. And, Mm, um, and so, yeah, I don't know where that leaves all of that, but, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we just, we just start with the safe, uh, mindfulness masturbation and and build from there. Yeah. Well, I, well, I will jump in at this point. And what I'll say about your amazing box that you're keeping very sealed, Libby, is that the great thing about working with the body is that you don't have to really go digging because we're just looking at what is presenting on that day. And so once we start going into mindful masturbation, your body will start giving you information. Mm-hmm. You will start noticing contraction. Um, or resistance or, you know, or elation or bits where you are opening up or, oh, that's a new place of pleasure or, you know, and then and then it's a line of inquiry. And so you don't have to go, you know, if, if you have, you know, you've talked about a lot of like the headiness and the like working with the mind and it's like that is so much and it is, it's, it's too much really when there's been a lot of trauma. And so when we just get curious about what's happening with the body, that's where 
the actual healing is and what's actually useful to you now. Interesting. Okay, let's do yeah, it. Well, I, th- I think that, that that's a really, really beautiful place to finish what Morgan brought up before. And it's what we've known is that basically, you know, Sigmund Freud, one of the most famous psychologists of all time, the, basically the industry now doesn't follow 95% of what he came up with and what he said. <laughs> um, we, we do not need to relive our childhood. We do not need to relive our traumas and our stresses. We now have trauma-informed therapies. We have somatic therapies. We know the work of like Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score, a book that I uh, rave about to many, many people. Morgan's got a hand up. It's a radio show. They can't even see that. But she's, she's, yeah, yeah, a couple of whoop, whoops. You know, we, we know that we do not need to relive our trauma in order to be able to heal from it, to be able to move through it and to to be able to be better because of it. And so thanks for bringing that up at the end there, Morgan. It's it's a really good thing. We can um, we can just sort of shrink that Pandora's box by it without even opening it. We can just make it get a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller day after week after month. And then in the end, fuck, it's not even there anymore. All right, that's the end. Beautiful. Thank you for opening your hearts and your sex centers to me today. You're most welcome. Thank you for coming to our therapy session. Um, <laughs> I would I would like to thank Libby Grace, um, again, for being someone who never wanted to share a story, didn't want to talk on a podcast through to, I think this is episode 81. Uh, now she is talking about her box um, to, <laughs> to, to, many, to many people on the internet. You're uh, welcome. So so thanks thanks for coming there. I I talk about all my shit from the start. So it's no 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 one needs to thank me. Uh but I will thank you, Morgan, for coming along. Now you have sounded very helpful and intelligent today. Well done. And so there'll be a bunch of people who will be like, who is this woman and where can I find her? Maybe I need to talk to her because I have a box. <laughs> well uh, yeah, if you're looking for a box opener, you can find me at my website, morganpen.co.nz, or I do a lot of sort of gentle sharing and educating on my Instagram, Morgan the Sexologist. Her Instagram, I can attest, is very good and very helpful. I uh, I like how you got men masturbating in their trucks. That was good. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, just plenty of out of context jokes for people, but please uh, go check her out on Instagram. Uh, it's very helpful. And uh, there's many good points in there. And this this is just communication. This is what we do. And this is, this is what Morgan was saying is so, so, so very important, bringing this stuff into the light. So we thank you very much for listening. Thank you for sending us messages. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. We love you all very much and we'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye now. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time.